Volume. I'm Paul McNally, and we start this episode with Alistair Otter after he spent a long day working, staring at a screen. I feel like I've been stuck inside behind a desk the whole day. Uh, office is a relatively small room in the middle of our house. Not particularly well lit, not particularly airy, but it's what we have at the moment. Alistair is co-founder of Media Hack Collective, an organization that specializes in data-driven journalism. He sent us this message as a voice note over WhatsApp. That's how we produce the show, with voice notes. It's uh, 20 past five on the 25th of March. Right now I'm sitting outside on the veranda, outside our front door, watching the street, uh, watching the cars go by. Media Hack Collective is a core team of just two people, Alistair and his partner, Laura, a couple that was living and working together in the same house, even before COVID-19. I mean, I'm still working on a couple of ideas on my outside, on my laptop, but uh, just enjoying the last, last few bits of the day and uh, thinking about what we're going to do tomorrow. You're listening to Media Diaries, the COVID-19 edition. This show is brought to you by Volume and the South Africa Media Innovation Program. For each episode, we're going to go inside a different newsroom or organization and explore the challenges that they are facing with reporting on COVID-19. And for this episode, we are visiting MediaHack, an amazing organization that creates visualizations, multimedia stories and dashboards with the goal of spreading valuable journalism as far as possible. Here's Alistair again. Our big project during this lockdown period and this coronavirus infections is a dashboard in which we're trying to track coronavirus infections in South Africa. The dashboard is an incredible piece of work, showing confirmed infections, deaths, those recovered, number of people tested, all broken down by age and province. The response has been phenomenal to it. To date, I think we've had close on 180,000 people page views and at times we've had upwards of 300 people looking at the dashboard at any one time. It's a great project for us. I mean, we're making it freely available. It's a service really, but it ties very much into the kind of the work that we do, which is that we work with data and visuals to try and tell a story. And in this case, it's a very important story about uh, what the state of affairs regarding the coronavirus infections. The information for the dashboard comes from the Department of Health and the National Institute for Communicable Diseases. These are reputable sources, and so the dashboard also helps to counter fake news. And I think it's very important that we do something like this, because I think that there's the opportunity for fake news, as most people call it, or misinformation, which I prefer, is um, is that a lot of those kind of more ghastly stories or more headline-grabbing stories are likely to get spread around, whereas the hard, solid data, which is what we really need to work with, um, needs to be exposed. And that's really what we're trying to do, expose it to the public um, and anyone who is interested in a form which is understandable and usable. Laura Grant, Alistair's partner and Media Hack co-founder, is in a pretty bad state when she sends us her first voice note. It's three o'clock on Wednesday, the 25th of March. 
10 days since we decided to do a dashboard of coronavirus infections in South Africa's data. It started off with this amazing flow of information from the NICD. Um, they would put it on their website every day, and now the last time they put anything on their website was the 22nd, three days ago. This is important. If data stops flowing from the authorities, then the dashboard, it'll seize up. Yeah, so I woke up at four o'clock this morning worrying about how we were going to update this dashboard. Um, thank goodness. We have a relationship with Becky Cesar and they are content partners because they get sent press releases by the Department of Health that we can get some information from. But, wow, the flow has really dried up. Yeah, it's getting quite exhausting. Here is Alistair on the same day, the 25th of March, on how they are reworking the dashboard to accommodate the lack of data. So we've reworked the the dashboard to some degree. Earlier this morning, we heard that there were 709 confirmed infections in South Africa. But beyond that number, there was very, very little detail available from the Department of Health um, or any other source. Then Alistair reflects on this new number of infections. When I think the 709 number is, pretty, is fairly concerning. I mean, it's not outside of what we probably expected, um, but we have seen a, a significant jump in the free state um, as a result of the church gathering, which is, which is a concern because that could, that could lead to a lot more. Um, but I mean, I think that the, the numbers are going to get significantly higher in the coming days. Here's Laura again. So it's... Thursday at quarter to three and I'm sitting in my car and my dogs are jumping up at the windows because they think I'm going to take them for a walk but um, I'm just sitting in here because I want to record. I told Laura to record in her car because it is so well insulated. It's a great place to record. So I'm just updating on what we're doing because because we really struggle, we're really struggling to get the data that we used to get at the beginning. So we've decided to change the dashboard and add international kind of graphs on Africa one and are comparing South Africa to other countries. And I'm quite excited about that because I know we can definitely get data for those. And I think we're still giving value to people with that kind of information. And, um, and yeah, I'm finally able to update the newsletter. And we've got close to 4,000 people um, who've subscribed to this newsletter. And I kind of feel an obligation to give them updates, you know. And, you know, people are really, really sweet. They're sending us emails, telling us that they like it. But, you know, they, they, want, to, they want to know where are the updates. And it's not really our fault. It's kind of the official info is not coming through. So, so yeah, I'm writing one to tell them that, okay, so we can't do what we were doing before, but we've got other stuff. We've got two new graphs, and I, and I hope they like that. Oh, my gosh, my dog is scratching my car now. I'm going to have to stop recording and open the door. One of the fun opportunities in some ways is that uh, our son studies computer science at university. So while he's been lounging around the house, we've um, been giving him small tech jobs to help us. 
um, with our dashboard and with updating some of the websites that we run for people. Um, so it's an opportunity for him to earn a little bit of money and also get a bit of hands-on experience and also get it, keep him occupied um, while he can't go and see his friends. The last time we got numbers from the, the health minister was yesterday morning. And that was when we had 709 reported cases. So it's been a long time since the last information release, which makes me really worried that it's going to be another big one. So I've been doing, um, I've been comparing South Africa with other countries. Um, you know, how many days since we recorded a hundred um, infections compared with other countries? And we're not doing that badly. Um, you know, the only one, the UK had 590, eight days after their first 100, and we've got 709. Um, all the other countries in the top eight or nine in the world for infections had more than us. But, sure, it just depends. <clears throat> you know, we've got 300 more infections than we had on, on Monday. So I really hope that... This long delay doesn't mean that there's going to be a big increase. One of the things that we've learned in the last week since we launched our dashboard um, is how important it is to be what we like to term agile. Um, we initially started off when the first few cases of coronavirus were announced, uh, the Department of Health and, not, and the Communicable Diseases Institute put out very detailed information about how ages of people, the genders, where they had traveled to, uh, their province, etc. It was very detailed information and we built the dashboard on that basis, thinking this would be great. Um, as the cases um, started to rise in number, and I think as this morning we're sitting at 709, the amount of information coming out about those is extremely limited. Um, it's literally almost come down to a, a case of there are 709 infections, um, but no detail about gender, no detail about location, no detail about uh, their travel status, none of that. So as a result, we've had to kind of rework the, the dashboard on as, as we're going um, to bring in as much information as we can. Um, we're bringing in comparative elements um, comparative components that are going to look at other African countries versus South Africa or South Africa versus the rest of the world um, while it's still tracking those those bigger numbers and trying to get get as much data as we can. This is Al sewing. He's sewing a green screen. It's a big piece of green material that he's going to use as a backdrop because he wants people to think that in Zoom meetings that he's in interesting places. Alistair knows that Zoom has a feature to do this automatically, but unfortunately it isn't available on his slightly older MacBook Air. So apparently he needs a green screen so he can what project interesting... Interesting backdrops like icebergs and, I don't know, whatever, luxury apartments. So you can have those as his background. It's uh, 9.30 on Wednesday, the 26th, the day 
before the total shutdown. Um, and I'm standing outside the pick and pay, um, my local pick and pay waiting in a queue to, to get into the shop. Um, they're letting a few people in at a time. Um, there's a queue of probably about 60 or 70 people at the moment and it seems to, seems to be getting longer by the minute. As the 21-day lockdown approaches, data for the dashboard seems to be even more scarce. It's half past one on Thursday the 26th of March uh, on the eve of the, the lockdown. So this morning started out with a trip to the shops. It may have looked like I was stockpiling. Um, it wasn't really. Um, when, you've got, when you've got a couple of teenagers in the house with nothing to do, food doesn't last very long. And then we've been working on the coronavirus dashboard. We're adding a number of new elements to it to do comparative stuff with other parts of the world, other parts of Africa. We're doing it and all the time we're waiting to hear when the next release of data is going to come. Um, at, by this stage, I think yesterday morning, it was very early, we got the, the, the number, the number of in confirmed new cases. But the data seems to have gone deathly quiet at the moment. Um, I mean, it's a huge, it's a huge problem um, and it's very concerning. We've been talking to our partners, Becky Sisa, to see what they know. Uh, we've been talking to a number of people. We've had suggestions of, from people saying, you know, we should be kind of forming a collaborative effort to assist to get data out. I mean, we agree in principle that um, people should, should be assisting, but it's a capacity issue at the, at the moment. For, for most of us, whether we have enough capacity to assist and also whether people want assistance um, in any form. And even the National Institute for Communicable Diseases website, they built their own dashboard and their data is, is further out of date, as far as we can tell, than almost anyone else's, which is, suggests perhaps that there is a huge capacity problem there. This lockdown feels very real all of a sudden, um, thanks to it a morning in the shops and looking at the empty shelves in almost every shop that I went into um, and also the sense that the last number of infections that we had was 709 the next one given the delay in putting out this information could be significantly higher um, we don't know anything for sure but it the delays do suggest that there may be a significant increase coming. Obviously, we certainly hope that people inside government have a far more rich set of data than we do. Um, but the way we, but what we're looking at at the moment suggests that it may not be entirely the case. It may just be that they're trying to catch up. MediaHack Collective's partner for the dashboard is the Bekasisa Center for Health Journalism. The founder, Mia Milan, on the day of South Africa's lockdown, Friday the 27th of March, sent us this voice note over WhatsApp. It's around about quarter to eight. I'm in my room behind my computer and I'm just so, so tired. It was the first day of lockdown, but I've hardly noticed it because the past weeks of coronavirus reporting and the editing since the first case was confirmed has really just been running from my computer to the printer and back, essentially. Mia is indoors busier than she's ever been. You know, what's a quiet time for so many other people is really the busiest time ever for a health reporting unit such as Bekasisa. 
Mia then turns to the coronavirus dashboard. And my favourite part of that map is really at the bottom, where there is a graph that um, compares the rate of our, the, gro- the rate of growth of, of South Africa's um, COVID-19 epidemic with that of Italy's and China's. And if you look at it, you'll see that their epidemic spiked much faster than South Africa's, that we are doing the right things to try and flatten our curve, which is the whole point of a lockdown, for instance, to spread out the infections over a longer period of time so that our health system is not so overwhelmed. And that really makes it meaningful to me. I was looking for information you know, that's been published elsewhere to compare the rate of growth of our epidemic um, to that of other countries. And in the end, it was this Mediac map that helped me to understand it. What Mia is struggling with at the moment is the sheer amount of work that she has to do. My head feels a little bit like it wants to burst. It, you know, at any given time, I have like four people talking to me, one on Slack, one on WhatsApp, one on email, and maybe another one calling. And at any given time, I miss or I confuse at least one person's message with another person's. It is quiet in my room now, but I can hear the sounds of a movie from the lounge that my daughter and her father are watching, actually very loudly watching. And that's all in exchange for all the times that they have to sit in front of the TV watching live corona press briefings. They hate it. Taking a short walk around our garden, um, stretching the legs a bit, the Department of Health seems to be struggling a little bit to keep on top of the data. And I mean, I've been hearing a lot of stories about some of the struggles that they have to try and kind of get people to complete the forms that are apparently required. If you if you are tested positive, you need to complete the forms and people aren't doing them or aren't doing them correctly, um, which results in them struggling to find, to trace other people that may have been in contact with them. And then the inevitable tragedy happens. Just a short while ago, we updated our dashboard with the first two deaths uh, as a result of coronavirus. You know, we had kind of way... Um, we knew this was coming, but hadn't really thought about it exactly when it would happen and how how we would deal with it. Um, anyway, I mean, it's up and it's acknowledged and hopefully doesn't get significantly worse in the short term. Alistair and Laura have been isolated at home at this stage for the better part of a week. One of the things that stood out we're starting to feel very strong at the moment is how we don't really have a sense of days anymore. Um, you know, even though we work at home, we work at home most of the time, or all of the time, there was still a sense of a week versus a weekend. Now with children at home, there's no fetching of children from schools or um, doing weekend activities with them. Um, so we're at home every day, just starting to feel like it could be Sunday today, it could be Friday today, it could be Monday. It doesn't really feel very fixed, which is kind of strange. Later, Mia heads to the shops and finds something interesting at the medicine counter. And the woman behind the medicine counter at Clicks was very concerned. She was like, I hear doctors are dying. What about me? I'm standing here selling medicine and I only have hand sanitizer. She seemed to have wanted a mask and gloves to protect her. And ironically, a surgical mask wouldn't protect her, but just if she was infected, protect other people. So 
only a respirator, expensive respirator mask would have protected her. And it's interesting that she wasn't informed on that part. But but Clix is, is practicing very good social distancing. You can't get to the counter at the Randstein um, Clix in Melville. Um, it's been cordoned off with those things that they use at airports, that, that little belts in between them. So you stand about a meter and a half from the um, the counter, and that's at the medicine counter and at the place where you pay. This partnership between Media Hack Collective and Becca Sisa over the dashboard is a result of many years of mutual respect. Laura is one of the best data journalists in this country. She used to be the data journalism editor of the Mail and Guardian. So when Media Hack created their data map, they asked us to be their content and publishing partner. And we then provide them with some of the information for the map. And we obviously also publish it on our website and promote it on social media. And I think Becky Sisa is really, really lucky to work with MediaHack on this map, but also other projects, because they're one of the best independent journalism organizations on this continent. Mia does have one positive that has come out of this time with COVID-19. It has increased our readership heavily, like I'm sure it has done the same for other media organizations. We normally have about, you know, between 200 and 300,000 page views a month. And we're not done with this month yet. It's Saturday today, and we are already over 1.2 million page views if we take all our channels into consideration. With an epidemic like this, it's nice to know if people read you, but what really should... um be the purpose of journalism is to help to be able to slow down the rate at which this epidemic grows. Applying to people is one of the things that uh, is we've had to do a lot of because we've had a huge amount of feedback. Um, inevitably there's been a few people that have complained about this or that. Most people have said that they found the the dashboard that we work that we've been working on very useful, um, but the, earlier today we got an email from somebody that kind of makes it is one of those that makes it worthwhile. I'm going to read it because it's uh, it's very short. Um, in the email we get it this morning, he says, "Thank goodness you are there. Where would we get this info otherwise? I am getting on in age and not very IT literate. So if it weren't for you, I would be right in the dark. Keep it going." This has been Media Diaries, the COVID-19 edition. I'm Paul McNally. The show has been brought to you by Volume and the South Africa Media Innovation Program. Check out more information about the show either at www.volume.africa or at samup.mdif.org. The music for the episode was composed by John Bartman. Next week, we will go inside another media organization and see how they are coping and innovating when it comes to reporting on this crisis. Goodbye. Volume.